Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. All right, it's seven minutes after two o'clock. Thank you so much for staying with us. Um, this is a quote from Nelson Mandela. The true character of society is revealed in how it treats its children. And I, I so believe that. Not only its children, it's vulnerable, it's elderly. What is um, our standing currently with the character of other countries is really the question. And I think that's something that we need to internalize. That is something that we need to ask ourselves. We certainly have not done well in looking after our children. The, the cases of murder, of rape, all kinds of violence and ill treatment just keep astounding us. We, we keep hearing every single time. And I'm going to speak specifically for my team. I'm not going to speak for the entire country. The number of messages that come through every single day of somebody pleading for help and assistance. And this is not necessarily stuff that wants to go on air, but these are people who send us messages privately to say, please help, please help, please help. There is a case yesterday, and we thought we needed to do something about it because we usually have a conversation every single Monday um, with uh, our friends at Solidarity Fund, and we really try and highlight issues around gender-based violence. Uh, we have this partnership every single Monday. We do that. And yesterday we were speaking to Diana Schwartz, who is a social media lawyer and a child rights activist, and we were talking about cancel culture. But at the end of each show, we also send out details of how people can get help if they need help. A heartbreaking story came through as we were doing that. Um, you know, we were we were giving that information out, and we thought we were to give prominence to this particular story. I'm going to call this person anonymous because we need to protect um, this person and the people involved, because specifically because they're also minors, and this person sent a long, long uh, message asking for assistance. I'm going to put them back on the line. Um, I'm not going to tell you where they come from. Um, they are anonymous, and we're going to try by all means to protect them. So I'm going to welcome anonymous on the show um, to tell their story of what it is that they needed help with. Anonymous, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks, Pamela, for giving me a chance. Absolute pleasure, Anonymous. You were pleading for assistance. What's the story? Um, the story here, um, my sister-in-law's uh, daughter, who is 15 years old. Sorry, uh, just Anonymous, help me out. When you say sister-in-law, who are you related to? The, the husband? Yes, the husband. Mm, okay. No, no, not, sorry, not the husband. Actually, she is my, my, my kid's aunt. She's your children's aunt. Yeah. Okay. As in, is she your sister? She, she is related to my ex-husband. Ah, got you. Okay. So she, you you are related to her because because of your marital, your husband, the, the person that you were married to. Yes. Got yes. you. Okay, perfect. So she's now married to somebody. Yes. And um, what's the story with the couple? Well, they're still married. Uh, now, the problem is they have a 15-year-old daughter mm -hmm. uh, who is the second born. Okay. Uh, what happened, this child, uh, somewhere in November, 
she was uh, sexually harassed in a way that uh, the father, the biological father of this, of this girl, touched her in, in, in places which are not good. Actually, she, she wanted, actually, you know what happened? At the time he was doing that, the elder brother just walked into the house. I, I can just imagine if this boy didn't walk into the house, this child would have been raped. So what happened? After that, uh, the case was opened uh, at the nearest police station, and the father was arrested, and then he just got out on bail. And the conditions of the bail were uh, the father mustn't be at the space, at the, at the place where the child, where this daughter is. Hmm. Now he's he's living somewhere at his, I think he's, I believe he's at his mother's uh, 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 home, mother's house. Now, what happened? This child was going through the counseling at the church. Uh, I'm told that there is, I'm not sure whether it's a social worker or somebody who's doing counseling at the church. So he was going through these sessions like three, three times a week. And thereafter, actually, I'm told that he was told, she was uh, like, in a way, um, I'm not sure whether I can use the word convinced. She was told to forgive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is what she, and then after, once, uh, at the end of the sessions, of these sessions, she told her mother that she wanted to see her father. And then she was taken to a place where the father was. And then the mother says uh, they didn't talk, but they were like playing games as a, on, on, on a cell phone uh, as, as a family. After that, uh, the mother said to the child, uh, you were like told to forgive. Do you want to forgive? Can you forgive him? And then the child says, yes, I can forgive him. Uh, but she puts conditions. She said, I will forgive him provided she goes uh, back to the church. You know, she goes, attends the church. Unfortunately, the mother told me that, unfortunately, it's, we, we are in a lockdown. She, he cannot go to the church. But now, what is disturbing is they came to visit me where I am staying, mm-hmm. mother and this 15-year-old girl and then the other siblings. Mm. She was sitting on my couch. My elder daughter was came to sit next to her, mm-hmm. and she jumped quickly. She was so scared, and she was even shaking. She jumped quickly and decided to walk out and stand at the balcony. And then these other kids, they followed her. Now, the, the thing is, uh, the conditions which this girl put that, I will forgive him provided she goes back to the church. Nothing has happened as yet because of the lockdown. And this girl is scared. Now, the problem is now, I, I, I just, I'm just thinking that maybe this child, it's either she feels like she is betrayed or she is like not even sure whether this happened. Because what happened? On, at the day, on the day uh, the, the, the father was arrested, she, normally the father takes her to school. And the father was saying to her in the, in the car, this pretend as if this did not happen. Because the father asked her, who did you tell about what happened? And then she said, I told my elder brother. And then he said to her, just go back to your elder brother and tell him that it did not happen. This has never happened. So he, he, she, he took this child to school. Now, it's either I'm just thinking, I'm just concerned and worried. Why this child is convinced that this did not happen? I was just 
making up stories or this child feel betrayed because so, until this time this child is not comfortable this child is scared and he she is not even allowed to visit the relatives she came here to visit me because my my granddaughter who is same age as hers uh, was was she was here for 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 for, for the for December holidays. Mm. And she said to me she walked from home. They, they have a car. It's a long walk. I, I thought maybe she wanted to where she can be uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a state where she is comfortable. Let, now, me, let me ask you. The problem you. is, mm-hmm. and also I was told that they went back to the police station where the case was open mm. and asked the one, one of the officers, uh, they, they actually requested that the case be dropped. Okay. Now, if the case, it, I ask myself, does it mean this case has no weight? Can this case be dropped? What about justice? What about the right of this 15-year-old girl? Let me ask you this. Who actually initially took the case to the police station? Who it's pressed the, this? the biological mother of this daughter. And it's the same person who's also taken her back to where he is and yes. and and actually went against the court. Yes. Um, and and nobody's done anything about that. Nobody's done. I, I'm not even sure if the police are aware that this this uh, man has violated the the bail conditions. Uh, am I? I'm I'm also made to believe that he hasn't only violated the 15 year old. There's somebody else in the house yeah. that he's violated. Yeah. Yeah. How old is the other child? Uh, she's seven years. Seven. Yeah. And has there been a case against him for that particular act? Oh, there is. There is this other elder. She's. I think she's must be twenty-one or something. Uh, I am told that she did. He. Uh, this. This man did it to her as well. I don't know why is it not the case was opened uh, for, for, for this act. And there is um, uh, his brother's uh, stepdaughter opened the case, and the case was dropped later on. He was taken to custody, and later on the case was dropped. Now, when this incident happened, the mother of this 15-year-old went to tell the, 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 the wife to the brother, to, to, to this perpetrator's brother that this happened and the wife said you said this child is just lying and we're we're forced to drop the case and the other one the 21 year old i don't know whether the case was open because when the mother of the 15 year old to tell the 21 year year old that this happened to my daughter as well and then this other 21 year old just cried and said uh, i didn't want aunt i didn't want to break your marriage so I cannot go like he, she asked the 21 year old to go and open a case as well. She said, I'll never go the aunt because I don't want to break your marriage. Okay. I'm going to ask to take a break. I've got a few people on the line waiting to talk to us. Ignatius France is a training and advocacy manager at the Justice Desk. Diana Schwartz is back with us. She's a social media lawyer and a child rights activist as well. I've also got the CEO of the Teddy Bay Clinic, Dr. Shahida Omar, with us because we are going to try get to the bottom of this. It, it just cannot be. It cannot be that we sit and watch and the one question I have to ask myself is what with the children? While we all tiptoe around the law and our relations and all sorts of wonderful things, what about 
those young people. And I have now counted three kids who have been violated by this man. It could be more. I don't know. But we'll be back with your questions as well and your comments. Uh, listen, it's also an opportunity for you to call in 011-714-2006. And you can also send in your WhatsApp notes on 0614-104-107. Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. I've been speaking to Anonymous, um, who sent us uh, a note yesterday just pleading for assistance. And really, this is because a relative um, of hers uh, has got kids who have been violated by the husband and she's trying to understand what she can do as a bystander because this this case seems to be going all over the place and she's worried that eventually the perpetrator is going to walk away scot-free. I'm going to bring in Dr. Shahida Omar who's the CEO of the Teddy Bay Clinic and uh, thank you so much for speaking to us Dr. Omar and, and welcome to the show. Thank you and good afternoon to the listeners. How common is this kind of story? Well, I mean, just listening to Anonymous, firstly, want to applaud and commend her on her courage and bravery in bringing this to the attention of everybody. When you speak about common, I think this is a daily occurrence mm. where we see so many cases reported mm. and, you know, very few actually uh, get a, a situation where a case is open because often uh, police do not always address it appropriately mm. and the cases are not opened. In other cases where it is opened and, and then taken to court, the prosecution, of course, depending on the merits of the case, whether it will be prosecuted. And then the other challenge is that the conviction, we know we don't always get convictions. But the reality of the situation is that daily children recant after disclosing simply due to the fact either they've been threatened, intimidated, coerced, there's fear, there's anxieties, there's also fear around the disintegration of the family, where we actually see many children who uh, actually foresee the reality that money will be taken away. So the economics of the situation where the family will suffer because there won't be money for food, there won't be money for shelter, and of course, children will not be able to have money to go to school. So these are some of the common threads that we see on a daily basis. But I think I want to just speak to what Anonymous said, and I'm sure my colleagues, the learned colleagues will speak to that, that rightfully, uh, you know, a child, even if the child recants, the case cannot be withdrawn if a case has been opened. And I think in this situation, Already there should have been a statutory social worker or social work intervention where, you know, follow-up should have been done in terms of the child's counselling. Yes, the child received from the church, but I don't think that's sufficient because, you know, looking at the the situation and and, and and analyzing the whole situation that this needed. It's a 15-year-old girl, so the Department of Social Development or an expert organization like Childline, Teddy Bear Foundation, or TEARS, anybody should be involved with social work intervention and supportive counseling should be provided not only to the child, but also to the mother. And, of course, in this case where we've actually seen that there are allegations of more than one Mm. instance by the same perpetrator, Mm. that should have also been followed up. So I think here, this is clearly something that has not been done. And once again, where child and children have been failed by the system. The police, the FCS unit knows better. 
well, well, they should know better, that contact the relevant expert organizations to come in and intervene. Mm. Diana, I'm going to bring you in. Um, it was as a result of our conversation with you that uh, Anonymous reached out to us um, yesterday. And I don't know what we were saying that triggered her to eventually seek help. I think you said something around the fact that, you know, if you need help rather than going to social media or whatever the case may be, go to the relevant authorities and get things done. What worries Correct. me about this, Diana, is that Often when we speak about these cases, we, we always make the assumption that it's black and white and, you know, there is a wrong and the right and, a, and that kind of thing. It's complex. And when you listen to the story, you, you see the complexities in it where family members are not quite sure how to manage their relations. And yes. in the meantime, we have children that have been violated and you've got a mother that, to- that toes between the children and then the husband and then the family members that are trying to keep it secret and others that are trying to protect. And then there's a church as well there. All of these dynamics that make it so complicated. And I think for me, that's the frustration. Um, it's extremely frustrating. It's, it's extremely com- complex and difficult situations. Um, that these circumstances often occur. And, you know, at the end of the day, what is paramount and what the law says is that the best interests of the child is of paramount importance, and it supersedes all of these things. So children are susceptible to influence, especially from their parents, um, from their families. You know, they have these fears that, um, you know, my colleague has already spoken about, However, we need to ensure that the best interests of children are upheld and that they are protected because essentially they are the most vulnerable in our society. They are the voiceless. And, you know, our laws in South Africa have been drafted and have been, you know, amended and also are still being, you know, um, sort of drafted in that way to support the child. So in these instances... What I would say if I were advising um, Anonymous is to seek out um, assistance. I would recommend the Centre for Child Law um, who advise children on their rights and act for them in circumstances where they cannot act for themselves or they perhaps lack the means um, because there is legislation in place to prevent this from happening. And the fact that it's happened not only to this particular young lady and to two others in her home one that is alarmingly much younger, um, not that age is, is a huge factor, but this cannot carry on. This, these, this case needs to go forward and this particular perpetrator needs to be prosecuted or it will just continue. Yeah. So, so um, Ignatius, I'm going to bring you in here. Um, Diana is saying that, you know, um, the children are of paramount importance here. And, and I have a, a question. It may seem quite simple, but who actually is meant to be the custodians of the safety of our children. Listen to the story. And all around these children are people who are toying with their safety. Yes. Um, thank you for having me, Camilo. Your, this case, um, as, as, as we spoke about it yesterday, it, was, um, it is co- quite complex. But to answer your question, the, in terms of our law, the, the upper guardian, as they are called, is normally the high court. So the high court as an institution is primarily responsible for the safety of children. So essentially what that means is that a child does not always need to have the presence of an adult present to be able to access justice or, or to be able to access legal 
um, uh, you know, some kind of legal help. But in reality, that means very different things because obviously mm-hmm. our children are not equipped, they are not empowered with the information in terms of where they can access help. But to apply some of our legal kind of um, instruments to this case, I would agree with um, with uh, Dr. from the Teddy Bear Clinic um, in terms of there should already have been assigned, you know, a, a social worker to this case. But if we break this down, he, the, the first uh, the first part is that okay, they they've gone to the authorities who I'm assuming is, is the South African Police Service. Now, unless the case gets, you know, they are the ones who are going to investigate. It. Unless they are going to put together together, um, they are going to put together a, a docket that they are then going to present to the prosecutor. Nothing is actually going to happen. So before the prosecutor is actually even informed about this, that case might actually disappear off the table. So already, and, and then when you look within the, within the structure of that, you are looking at people who are ill-informed when it comes to specific, especially complex cases like the one that we are talking about today, where you get a constable who's supposed to be taking your statement but does not actually understand the law and, and what, how that applies to, to him or her in that instance. Um, and then obviously the prosecutor, the prosecutor has quite has one duty, is that if the docket has been presented to them, they are then able to take that to the court and, and have some kind of conviction for that. But again, like what Dr. was saying, is that um, we often have very little conviction because of people withdrawing the, 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 these cases. And then obviously the role of the church. Now, I, I, have, a, I have one of my very, very favorite things is that it takes a village to raise a child. And, and this case brings into a, you know, stark contrast the roles and responsibilities that all of these different people and institutions are supposed to have in protecting this child. And in this entire story, what we are hearing is that all of these institutions are actually have failed and are continuing to fail because when, when, when Anonymous was talking, she was talking about the seven-year-old old child. And, you know, my heart was broken with the first child and now only to find out that there are two more. So the institutions, the families, the structures in this have, have failed these kids. Now, that basically for me, I would say because Anonymous is concerned about this child, there's, there's another avenue. Because this is a minor, I think that she could actually approach um, there's a form called Form 22, which allows you to make an anonymous um, report about the, state, the status of a child so that you can get statutory powers like a social worker from the Department of Social Development to come and intervene and investigate that. They will then have other functions and powers to actually ensure that the child perhaps is removed from that because... There are two people who are paying this child, both the mother and the father. Ignatius, do me a favor, please, and just pause right there because I've got to go to the headlines and I'm going to come back Mm. to that because I think I like where this is going, some sort of solution for this particular case. So please pause for me. Let me go to Nandika Bukas for the latest in SABC headlines at 2.30. Life life happens with Pimelo Motine. Hi, um, this is a very sensitive issue. I, I actually feel for this poor child because something tells me that it happened more than once. And unfortunately, in the previous um, occasions, nobody was there to actually witness what happened. And the fact that the mother even had found it in herself to actually try and convince this poor child to forgive the father, this is something that is really uncalled for. Something needs to be done. This is not just an issue of sexual, sexual assault, it involves a child.
something needs to be done and this mother must also be held accountable she has to be held accountable hi afternoon pamela uh, i'm really disturbed by this story what kind of a man is this no honestly this is it's, it's something else really it has to be investigated this man must go to jail honestly he's a disgrace thank you pamela Thank you so much for all your messages. Okay, we, we were speaking to Ignatius Franz before we went to the headlines, and Ignatius was just trying to tell us what avenue um, Anonymous has to try and save uh, the situation. So can I just ask, Ignatius, it may sound like a really silly question. The the involvement of social development, who alerts them? So there is this talk about there should have been social workers. Who would have told social development that there is an issue here? Would it be the police? Who, who would have alerted them? So the, the, the way I understand it, when I feel it, that the police would have uh, involved it. So the moment, or it's either somewhere between the police and the prosecutor, because uh, once the case would have gotten at least to the prosecutor, then they would have wanted some kind of reporting. Um, there's, a, there's an institution, I think it's um, the child advocate that normally gets appointed um, by the court. The child advocate is then a person either who can be a lawyer, but normally it's also a social worker who then um, goes and investigates the circumstances in, in, in the child's home and all of these things. Um, and so for me, I think that, that, that the activation of the social worker, at least in terms of the statute, would have happened once the case got to the, to the prosecutor. And therein lies the problem, you see is that if the case is not actually handed over to the prosecutor, the prosecutor, with their authority and their roles and responsibilities, are not able to activate certain things. So because the case dies with the police, there's nothing that happens after that, um, which is also why I think in our past conversations we've spoken about the, the need for training in the police, um, especially the ones that are your, your kind of your food soldiers at the police station, um, everywhere in the country, they are the ones that should know what the law says when it comes to these types of specific cases. Pinello, if I may yep, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. So what Ignatius is saying is very critical. The, you know, the important thing is the FCS unit, we, we know that to prosecute a case, you need uh, substantial mm, evidence. And mm, often yes. children are not able to provide sufficient mm. evidence or there isn't any physical evidence to substantiate that. When I speak mm. about physical evidence, yeah. uh, where there are not conclusive mm. findings, medical evidence, so what the FCS unit, regardless of the fact that the child may have been touched, we're not sure if it was just a once-off incident or there were more incidents. Ideally and theoretically what should have happened is that this child should have gone for a medical examination, a JATH should have been completed, and a social worker, you know, like, like, like we spoke about, people getting involved, professionals. So in the absence of any medical evidence to corroborate that what the child has said has happened, a forensic evaluation Mm. would have to be conducted by a forensic uh, psychologist Mm. or social worker. What we have found with forensic assessments, the expert witness would submit a report to the court and there is a stronger opportunity for you know, a, a conviction, conviction or to actually yes. ascertain the reliability and veracity of the child. Mm. So besides the fact that the child requires counseling, that the mother would certainly, be, the family would certainly be brought into the equation, 
these are pro- normal procedures and channels that should be followed. But Ignatius has identified many challenges faced in the police sector where people yeah. are not sufficiently equipped and trained. And that is what hasn't happened here. Yeah. But in terms of the way forward, we need to realize that there's no statute of limitations for indecent assault, for fondling, for touching. The 21-year-old needs to be informed about her rights that even now, after the fact, she still has rights and it still can be reported and prosecuted. I think that's something that we need to ensure. But with a forensic assessment, what would happen is that the forensic evaluator would look at collateral sources of information. So from the other two people or victims, Mm -hmm. alleged victims, Mm. he or she would gather that information and include that in the report. And I think that is something that hasn't been done here and we need to pursue that. Diana, let me bring you in here because, I mean, I'm almost hearing that there is a slight solution where Anonymous can go and fill in Form 22 and so on. And, and, and what I'm hearing is there is a likelihood that we can rescue this 15-year-old out of the situation. That Certainly. doesn't quite um, sit well with me, and I'll tell you why. Because uh-huh. there is the witness who was not himself fondled, who was the boy who witnessed it, who I'm not sure is actually safe in that home because I don't know what dynamics there are in the house. There are the yes. other children who it seems like there's a history there too. There is a mother who is an ally to the abuser. So we are so busy removing children out of their home, and yet we can't guarantee that the perpetrators are going to be locked up. Yes. It's an extremely um, difficult situation and frustrating, but I think, you know, Ignatius, you know, hit the nail on the head when he said, when it comes down to reporting and Within the SAPS, we actually have a child protection unit in a family violence and sexual offences child protection unit that should actually be very sort of uh, paramount in these investigations. But the reality is um, that not all our SAPS officials are trained. So if you already come to an overburdened SAPS police station and you lay charges and then later you withdraw the case, sometimes what happens in the reality of life is that that will now not proceed. And it's easier for the police official to say, oh, well, they've withdrawn the case now. You know, it's at the back of the heap. It's nothing that I need to focus on now. That's where the problem lies. Because in terms of the training, the child protection unit in the SAPS, that training should be across the board to all police officials. And there's a certain protocol that has to be followed when it comes to GBV, um, family violence and sexual offences, and children who are victims in this. So it's it's extremely important and the law unfortunately, you know, it moves slowly, the wheels of justice turn slowly. However, it's so important that it's reported to the correct people and that, you know, we all have a duty to report. So I think anonymous should definitely follow the the process that Ignatius has said. But also if she feels um that she needs support to definitely go ahead and use the resources that we already have in the country. We've got Childline, we've got the Teddy Bear Clinic, we've got the um, uh, Centre for Child Law. You know, even if she had to go to, um, um, 
gosh, sorry, the word, is, uh, the, the, mm. the name of the place is it's, going out of my head. But basically, fine, yeah. even if she had to get pro bono legal services yeah. to assist her in going and actually laying the charges, reporting it, and seeing it through, it is definitely worth that to mm. make sure that it is prosecuted. Mm. What should have, could have, would have happened, should have happened, mm. but it doesn't seem that it has happened, mm. we assume, from what we've heard. Yeah. However, it's not it's not the end of the road. It still needs to be reported. It still needs to be followed up. Yeah. And we need to create a culture in South Africa where not only relatives, but whoever may um, you know, be aware or suspect something uses the resources to report and get investigations into that family. And in the court, as Ignatius said, there is a family advocate or a child advocate that should go in and investigate these things. But I think the solution is awareness and education of rights, as well as assistance and support in that process. Okay, Ignatius, you and I have spoken about this now um, over a couple of months, and perhaps this is where we come in as the public. How are we going to put pressure on the president to sign the three bills? Because if those three Mm -hmm. bills were signed, is it not correct that you and I would have been able to do something about this case instead of just standing by and hoping for the best? Absolutely. But before, before we speak about the three bills, you know, there's, there's a key component of the story that we haven't spoken about, and mm-hmm. that is the role of the church. Yes. Um, I, I bring it back to this because in many instances, the church, for many people in this country, is a place of safety, mm. or at least ought to be. Mm. Right? And so one of the key issues that we as, as the justices have been um, kind of engaging churches around is Many churches don't have policies around child protection. Many churches don't have people who have been vetted to work with children. When, you know, you, are, you were talking, uh, Anonymous was talking about, you know, the child perhaps was getting some kind of counseling. We, we have no, you know, kind of evidence to say that that person who was giving counseling is actually qualified, has been trained uh, mm-hmm. to, to be able to deal with this. So that is the first part. The other part is the fact that for the church to actually want to sweep something like this under the carpet, it is, it is, it blows my mind. So Does it as, really? as a society, <laughs> Ignatius, are you kidding me? Does it really blow your mind? It can't blow your mind because it, 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 it does. It, it can't it blow does your in mind. The sense that in this day and age, you would you would have thought that the pressure that is mounting, especially around around the churches, to to be part of the solution and not to be the problem anymore. You would have thought that the churches would have gotten the, the memo by now we, to say, we, guys, we, if something like this comes across us, we have to deal with it properly. We cannot, though, Ignatius, and this goes to all of us, we cannot ignore the principles and values of certain uh, institutions. There are things that trump this child's uh, protection in certain institutions where, for instance, it's a family unit that is more important. You, you, you cannot impose that on them. It's who they are. It's how they conduct themselves. Values you cannot impose on anybody. So it's, that's why it's upon us and the law to stand up for this child because we can't say what the church must stand for. You and I are not in control of that. We're not in control of that. No, absolutely. I, and I'm not saying the church should, should but if, 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 if I, look, I'm the biggest Christian pastor that is out there when I'm familiar. <laughs> but I, I, I refuse to, to, to belong to any structure that would do that, that would allow for that type of action to happen for a child. So when we are talking about us as a society or as a community, 
there are certain principles that we that we cannot that we cannot you know uh, waver on that we cannot uh, negotiate on the safety of children in uh, when you started the show you were saying that you know the the true character of any society is, is, lies in the way in which they treat their children now we cannot say that once it, you know because this is a church we have to tread carefully or we have to do this or we have to do that the the law should apply equally you put a child in danger, there have to be consequences, regardless of, what, of whether you are the bishop of the church or whether you are the janitor in the church. I hear you, Ignatius. Yeah. That's, we, we're not, we're not on, on, on a different page, and I think all of us agree this is mm. wrong. All I'm saying is you, you, you and I cannot overnight change uh, yes. values of specific institutions, and this is across the board, you know, and, yes. and, and I can't help that. I, I'm somebody who's Christian, who belongs to a Catholic church that abused children for centuries. And I can't and we help We cannot that. be bystanders. We cannot, we cannot be bystanders. But I yeah. cannot also wait for the church to change. And I'm saying, with what mm-hmm. we have, what can we do right now? What can we do right now that is going to save these children for the, from this perpetrator? Because it is the church who will talk about the head of the family and the neck and whatever and whatever, right? So yeah. I want to walk away from these scriptures and talk about what can we do now to save these children? Yes. Right. Um, and then to come back to, to the three bills, because I think, I think Pimelo, uh, if I may, uh, you know, suggest that one of the shows, when we talk about gender-based violence, we have to have a, a conversation around the role of the church, mm. whether historically and even in the current um, context. Mm. But that's a conversation for another day. The three bills, I've, I've reached out, I've looked everywhere, the president has not found. Um, and right now, I'm not actually sure as to what the delay may be. It mm-hmm. may be that the, that the focus currently is just COVID, because COVID is, you know, um, the key crux. But you he think, keeps you think on you, reaffirming uh, gender-based violence or femicide as one of the as one of the uh, other epidemics that we have. Okay, and so, so we. Yeah, sorry. I'm running out of time, Ignatius. I'm so sorry mm. to cut you in there. And, and maybe this is speaking to all of us. So I, I cannot believe that uh, taking a pen and putting it to paper and the president signing it is too difficult just because yeah. there's COVID around. I cannot believe that. We mm. keep talking sorry. about gender-based violence as a pandemic. We have to act as if it is a pandemic. With and I think urgency. we need to all put more pressure and we need to just remind us again how much we, um, how we can put pressure. And I know we've run out of time. I'm going to put back um, Anonymous and we can all rally behind what we can do for Anonymous outside of this conversation because I think there is some intervention that's required. Um, but I think, again, Ignatius, and to yourself, to you, Diana, to you, Dr. Omar, we've got to put more pressure. Those bills have got to be signed. I agree with you. Definitely, definitely. We will follow up. We'll actually also uh, put pressure on government to find out where we're at right now. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to all my guests, Dr. Shahida Omar, CEO of the Teddy Bay Clinic. Ignatius France is a training and advocacy manager at the Justice Desk. Diana Schwartz is a social media lawyer and child rights activist as well. Thank you to you too, Anonymous, for bringing this to our attention.